The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Cananean and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. <clears throat> there are a few theories regarding the relationship between adult eagles and their young. One theory suggests the parent eagle flies beneath their young as they are first learning to fly so that they can catch them if they begin to fall. Another theory suggests the adult eagle actually carries the young on their wings until the little ones are ready to fly on their own. Regardless of which theory is true, or perhaps both are, this relationship between an adult eagle and its young is sometimes used as a metaphor in the Bible to describe the caring and protective relationship between God and God's people. It's used in today's first reading, if you noticed, from Exodus, wherein the Israelites find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain to talk to God. God says to him, Go and remind the people what I've already done for them how I delivered them from their slavery in Egypt and led them through the Red Sea, how I bore them up on eagles' wings and brought them to safety. Tell the people, if they obey my laws, I will be their God. Moses delivers this message to the people, to which they reply, tell us what we have to do, and we will do it. The reading ends with Moses reporting back to God that the people had said, tell us what to do, and we will do it. Now, we don't know how God reacted to Moses' report 
of the people's response. But in my mind, at least, whenever anybody says, tell me what to do and I will do it, I laugh. Not because I'm cynical or bitter, but because I'm a mother. (laughs) And I'm speaking from 13 years of experience that whenever my sons ask me what I want for Christmas or my birthday or Mother's Day, I always say the same thing. I just want one day with no fighting. And what do they reply? Tell us what to do, and we will do it. (laughs) Which usually lasts about an hour or two, and then fists are flying. I thought we had finally succeeded this year on Mother's Day, only to discover they had, in fact, been calling each other names through texts giving me the illusion that they were fulfilling my wish for peace. At any rate, that's the Israelites' response to God's invitation to enter into a covenantal relationship with the God of their ancestors. Tell us what to do, and we will do it. Yeah, sure. And this is not to pick on the Israelites at all, because we Gentiles or Christians are just as guilty That if human beings were capable of doing exactly what God requires, the Bible would be like 50 pages long. But the Bible is not 50 pages long. From this early covenant between God and Moses, the Bible is one long, exhaustive story of people doing exactly the opposite of what God asks them to do. From the initial mess in the Garden of Eden, to King Saul's disobedience, to King David's murder and adultery, to Jonah's attempt at avoiding God, to Peter's denial, to Judas' betrayal. There's no shortage of examples in the Bible of times when people who had promised God that they would do exactly what God told them to do, don't. And we are certainly no exception to that. We often make promises to God we don't keep. So why does God even ask us to make promises God knows we can't keep? It seems kind of silly. God wants us to try. Like the young eagles, God wants us to try our wings, to attempt to fly, to participate in the relationship between parent and child. God was in relationship with human beings long before today's covenant with Moses, and even long before God's covenant with Abraham. God has been in relationship with creation since the very first Big Bang. But what the biblical covenants do are invite us to participate in creation instead of creation being a one-way relationship from God. And if God has created us and knows us, if God has known us since we were first knit together in our mother's wombs, then God also knows full well we are not able to hold up our end of the bargain, just like I repeatedly ask the boys for peace in my home, knowing they can't do it. But I want them to try in the hopes that they one day might succeed and maybe my hope won't disappoint me. Maybe one day my sons will be agents of peace and diplomacy in the world, but not now. But I still ask them to try. When you ask someone to try, when you ask someone to participate in relationship with you, 
The relationship moves from dictatorial to mutual. And this is what God is doing with Moses and Abraham before him and the Israelites and us and all of creation. So let's come back then to the metaphor of the eagle. Whether God carries us on God's wings or God flies beneath us ready to catch us if we fall is irrelevant. What's important is that God is there, always close by, that God knows that we need God's support, that we need God to catch us when we feel like we are falling into despair, when we feel ungodly, when we feel unworthy, when we feel like it would be better for everyone else if I just jumped. We all know people, maybe it is even yourself, who feel like there is no place for you in this vast wingspan of God's grace. We all know dear ones who feel undeserving or unfit to live this life, who want to eject themselves from the safety of God's wings. Judas was one such person whose torment drove him to take his own life, but Jesus still counts him among his friends and disciples if you noticed from this morning's gospel, so that Judas is not eternally lost, but rather eternally saved. God swoops down to catch even the most despairing ones and rescues them from hell and eternal death and raises them up to shine like the sun. And that is what Good Friday is all about, that Jesus gets as many as Adam got, that none can fall from the grace of God. God wants us to try our wings in life, knowing that it will be difficult, that we will get bruised and broken. It's the same thing when our children take their first steps, or when the training wheels come off, the parent knows that the child will fall a hundred times before they finally get it. But we cheer them on, because we want them to try, and we know they must. We know their steps And their peddling will take them away from us. But it is our hope that they one day will return of their own free will. And that's the dynamic relationship that God invites us into with these covenants in the Bible. It's the astounding and loving interaction between our falling and God's catching. Between our unworthiness and God's worthiness. Between our ungodliness and God's godliness between our flying away and God's hope that we one day will return. God wants us to try our wings, knowing we will fall a hundred, a thousand, a million times, but that we are nonetheless saved by God, who is eternally there, soaring above or below to catch, to bear up, to soar. If you've ever seen the movie Madagascar 2, I don't often quote movies, and never an animated one, but Madagascar 2. You'll recall the scene following the plane crash in Africa where the penguin Kowalski says to the skipper, only two passengers unaccounted for, sir. And the skipper replies, that's a number I can live with. It's not so with God. The eagle parent 
whose wings are infinitely broad, catching and carrying all. Those long since dead, those yet unborn, as well as those of us living in these in-between days, so that not a single one is lost. Amen.